Uh, Psalms 104, and we're going to go ahead and start reading in verse 1. We're just going to read it as we go, and it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, Thou art very great. Thou art clothed with honor and majesty. One of the things we're going to see in this psalm here as we go through it is it's going to talk a lot about creation. It talks a lot about God's creation in here. I'm calling this one a song about creation. That's pretty much what pretty much what it's about. We sing a lot of songs about creation, don't we? We sing songs like This Is My Father's World. As one we do, you know, we sing songs like uh, The Heavens Declare the Glory of God. Well, that's not in our hymn book, but our family's sung that one before. But, um, O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is thy name. Uh, the Ron Hamilton ones in our hymn book we sing. And it's good to sing about creation. There is a lot of beautiful things in creation. I think it's you know good if you ever get a chance to travel and just kind of see the country, see the different sites. And one of the things that it often does is it causes you to just be amazed by God. When you look at His creation, it is a great testimony to God and how powerful He is. And notice how in verse 1, it mentions how He is clothed with honor and majesty. And I believe one, you know, when it's talking about being clothed with honor and majesty, obviously it's speaking figurative here. But the reason it's saying He's clothed with honor and majesty is because of the fact we can't see God, but we can see the work of God, can't we? We can see what he's capable of, you know, just us looking at the stars and, you know, when you look at the things in space, you get a telescope and you look at what's out there in the universe, that says a lot about God. And therefore, you know, he is clothed with honor and majesty. Look at Psalms uh, 109 verse 29. But our works often in the Bible are compared to our clothing just because of the fact that our works say something about us. Just like our clothing says something about us, okay? And I'm not preaching about clothing tonight, but Christians are the only people that don't believe this. Do you know your clothing says something about you? Your clothing speaks a lot. And for one, and it should do this, it tells if you're a male or a female. Now, I know they're trying to blur that, but it's always done that. A lot of times it'll tell what country you're from. Have you ever even seen people too that you just looked at them and you just... By their clothing, you know, you know, I don't think they're from the United States. And it's interesting too because, you know, I'll, whenever you're watching the news, a lot of times you'll see just videos of protests and stuff going on in some of these Muslim countries. But a lot of times you'll see them wearing like American name brand stuff, won't you? But yet, other cultures they kind of have some of their own things that they wear. You can tell they're not from around here. But your clothing says something. If you're a female, a lot of times it says it says what type of female you are. You might not like that, but Proverbs talks about a woman who had the attire of a harlot. Okay? And even as a guy, too. Your clothing sometimes can say, you're a nerd. All right? Apparently, my clothing used to say that, according to my wife. But, um, you know, I don't know. Might have been a little truth to that. But I might have been a nerd, but I still got her. So, what is that? I don't know what that says about her. Or, but anyway. So, uh, let, let's look at a few verses they kind of go along with this. Psalms 109 in verse 29 says, Let mine adversaries be clothed with shame and let them cover themselves with their own confusion as with a mantle. Alright, so often, you know, the situation you're in, that like here, for example here, he's wanting them to be clothed with shame. Okay, there's just some people, you know, they're, you know, there's some people that are clothed with bitterness. That's all you can see about them. Is this their bitterness? 
their anger. And it's their clothing. It's, it speaks volumes about them. It says in Psalms 132 verse 9, it says, Let thy priest be clothed with righteousness, and let thy saints shout for joy. For the priest, God wanted them to be clothed with righteousness. What does that mean? Does it mean they wear certain garments? I personally believe it's talking about their behavior. Hey, let these people be an example. It was the Levites that he told, you teach my people the difference between the holy and profane. And to cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. And the New Testament, we're told to do the same thing. So right there we see that again in First First Peter 5, 5. It says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourself unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. So, we, when it talks about being clothed with humility, that ought to be a very noticeable attribute about us. Okay, just, it, it ought to be one of the things, first things that we notice about somebody. What is, and really, what is one of the first things that you do notice about somebody? It's their clothing, many times. And I personally don't believe, I believe we ought to dress modest. I don't believe we ought to dress in ways that just, you know, there's ways you can dress that's not necessarily bad as far as nakedness and stuff goes, but it's not really modest, okay? You know, should I be up here just wearing one of those shiny suits like the, you know, singers wear? You know, look like some Southern Gospel Quartet guy or something like that. They wear those sparkly suits. You know, not not really necessary. Or just, you know, these real bright clothing. Just Some people, they wear things that just says, hey, everybody look at me. You know, they wear things that basically screams, I'm desperate for attention. People do those things with their hairdo. It just screams, I'm desperate for somebody to notice me. I'm desperate for somebody to look at me. And when you see that on somebody, it says something about them. Those are not good things. Well, when people see us, there are some things that they ought to see, and they ought to see some humility. They ought to see righteousness. There's a lot of things that we ought to just be clothed with that are noticeable about us. And we see here in Psalms, that God is clothed with honor and majesty. And then it goes on, and really this whole chapter, it's talking about creation. And I believe that is one of the things that clothes God. Because once again, we can't see Him, but we can see His work. We can see His creation. And it says some pretty amazing things about Him. Look at verse 2. It says, Who coverest thyself with light as with a garment, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, who layeth the beams of his chambers in the waters, who maketh the clouds his chariot, who walketh upon the wings of the wind, who maketh his angels spirits, his ministers a flaming fire. Now that's pretty fancy right there. Talking about the clouds being his chariot and all that kind of stuff. Now why is it saying all this? Does God Is God like literally riding around up there in the clouds? Is that what this is saying? I personally believe what this is saying is it's, it's kind of a figurative way of speaking, you know, and basically, you know, God does surround himself with some amazing things. When we see examples of him in heaven, you know, he's got those seraphims, he's surrounded by a throne that's got a rainbow around it, there's water proceeding from the throne. I mean, God surrounds himself with some pretty beautiful, amazing things. And it's interesting, too, because we know heaven, I understand that heaven is outside of eternity and outside of things that we can see it. But at the same time, we know it's up there in the sky somewhere too, right? Don't we? Because remember Jesus, when he ascended up into heaven, a cloud received him out of their sight. Why is that? Uh, I I think because he was about to open a door 
and the cloud was to block that. You know, so they didn't, they wouldn't see that and probably kill them. I don't know. That's just my opinion on that. But at the same time, when you look at the sky, there's a lot of beautiful things up there, isn't it? And it says a lot about God. And you know, the things that we surround ourselves with, it says some things about us, doesn't it? And what is it that rich people often try to do? You know, they want to surround themselves with nice things. You know, they want to drive that real fancy vehicle. You know, you're not going to see a Donald Trump or, you know, Bill Gates or somebody like that. They're not going to go driving around, you know, in just some piece of junk car. You know, they're, they're not going to drive around some cheat thing. They're going to drive something impressive. Okay? They're going to have something that gets noticed. Why? Because they're rich and they want everybody to know it. Well, you know what? God, He is a mighty God. He is a holy God. He is a very powerful God. And He surrounds Himself with beautiful things. And I believe He does that too because, you know, He's trying to send a message about Himself, one that's right. And you know you and you can you can tell a lot about someone by their possessions or even by just the people they associate themselves with. Because when you see God, He's surrounded by the angels. You know His ministers. It mentions His ministers being uh, flames of fire. That's quoted in Hebrews chapter one verse seven. Why is God doing this? He surrounds Himself with some impressive people. Okay, if you went and worked for the president, He's not going to let you. Show you know the president wouldn't even want me if I was working around him and I was somebody that was going to be seen around him. He wouldn't even want me showing up looking like I look right now. I'm wearing a cheap suit, cheap pants, cheap everything. He'd probably want me clean shaven. I don't know. You know he's going to make sure I look sharp. Why? Because I represent him, and he's the president of the United of the United States. And so he's gonna, he's gonna be picky about that kind of thing. And we see how God is that same way. Things that are unholy, they're not gonna be in his presence. I tell this people all the time when I'm out soloing, that hey, we are sinful. God is a holy God. He cannot allow sin in his presence. But thankfully, God doesn't just, you know, he didn't just forget us. You know what? Even though we are sinners, God sent his son into the world to pay for our sins. Why? Because our sins had to be cleansed before we could be in His presence. We had to be cleaned up before we could ever go to heaven. And the blood of Christ is the only thing that can clean us. Why is it? Because God's a holy God and He is not going to allow sin in His presence. So look at verse 5. It says, Who laid the foundations of the earth that it should not be removed forever. Thou coverest it with the deep as with a garment. The water stood above the mountains. At thy rebuke they fled, at the voice of thy thunder they hasted away. They go up by the mountains, they go down by the valleys unto the place which thou hast founded for them. Thou hast set a bound that they may not pass over, that they turn not again to cover the earth. He sendeth the springs into the valleys, which run among the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field, the wild asses quench their thirst. Right here the psalmist he is beginning to explain the complexity and the perfection of God's creation. Okay, and think what often when you see water in the Bible, especially when you see it in the book of Psalms, it's a reference to just the, water is a very powerful force, isn't it? Okay, we don't we don't really think of water as something powerful, you know, when we see it in a little cup or something. But you all understand that we are kind of at the mercy of what the water does. Okay, when when a flood comes. 
There's not much we can do about it. You know, they even just the Little Rock River, they couldn't just stop that. There's nothing we could do to make it, you know, flow the other way. You know, with all the abilities we have, we can't control that stuff. But notice how it mentions with God, you know, He laid the foundations of the earth. It mentioned how the waters stood above the mountains. I have probably reference to the flood. But then you know what? God, it says how basically, you know, at God's rebuke, you know, what happened? The mountains ended up popping up, the valleys formed, and the waters went where God wanted it to. Basically just showing how these things in nature that we just, there's nothing we can do about it. There's nothing we can change. The foundations are not going to be moved. I talked about that before. That's just showing how there's, there's literally nothing we can do to alter what this planet is doing. We can't move it. We can't shake it. There's nothing we can do. And yet, but God, He's the one that set it all up. And the waters, the most powerful forces in the earth, it listens to God. It moves back at His rebuke. In fact, it was God that parted the waters. That doesn't even make sense scientifically. But you know what? God did that. He did it with, uh, He did it in the Red Sea. He did it in the Jordan River. And he even did it for Elijah and Elisha when they went across the river. So, I mean, it's just, it just shows how powerful God is. But notice too, that, you know, water, it mentions water a lot here. It mentions too how they give drink to every beast of the field. The wild asses quench their thirst. Water, it's a necessary element for life on any planet. And what is it that the scientists are always looking for when they're looking at other planets? Water. Why are they looking for water? Because if there's water, there, there, there could be life. You've got to have water for there to be life. And if they could at least, you know, when they were out there on Mars, they were trying to figure out if, you know, there used to be water there. Because if there used to be water, then we could assume there used to be life. Just showing how, you know, we know that water is a necessary thing for there to be life. And, it, and water, though, while it's necessary for life, it can also be a great danger, can it? What's one of the things that the environmentalists are all panicking about? You know, sea levels rising. You know, because what are we going to do if the sea level rises? You know, New York's going to be underwater. And, and the problem is, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it, you know, and this is what aggravates me too. Uh, I watched this thing one time. We were at, we were at one of the museums, and we were getting more, you know, environmental junk shoved down our throats. And they uh, were showing the Colorado River. Is that the one that goes to the Grand Canyon and into Las Vegas and all that? And they were showing some Indian. And he was talking about, you know, my family's been here for generations and generations and, and now the water's going, you know, and the water's like all going away. There was this one area where the water used to be really high and it's sinking really low and I think they're blaming it all on Las Vegas for sucking up all the water or something. I don't know. But anyway, I'm just like, you know, he's like, you know, what are my people supposed to do? You know, we've lived here for generations and I'm thinking, move. <laughs> Since the beginning of time, man has moved around when they needed to move. Sometimes you have to migrate. Sometimes you have to go to other places. And you know what? I understand they built a lot of stuff there in New York. But you know what? They just might have to move. That's just, I'm sorry. You know, what are we going to do? You know, what are you going to do, Mr. President? You know, if New Orleans keeps getting flooded in hurricanes. I don't know. Move somewhere that's not below sea level. They can get flooded during a hurricane. Sometimes you just have to move. And you know what? 
the Lord's given us a great big planet that's got a lot of nice places. And you know what? There's some places that aren't going to last forever. You ever heard of Atlantis? I don't know if it's real or not, but you know, sometimes things sink. They have underwater pyramids. See, sometimes landscapes move, things change, stuff happens, and sometimes you just have to move. And whenever you hear these people start crying about it, you know, don't let them make you panic. Don't let that cause you to go screaming to the government to just tax us more so we'll behave and stop destroying the planet. No, next time you hear about them talking about the possibility of New York being underwater by 20-whatever, say, well, sounds like they better make plans on moving inland. That's all there is to it. All right, that, that, that's, that's, that is the simple solution. That is what everybody has done in 6,000 years of human history. And that's just a side note there. But, you know, they're, they're, I said all that because they're scared of the water. Because that water, that, if those oceans did rise, it would destroy that city. And uh, I think they got it coming. You, know, you look at all that they've done to this country uh, with, you know, all the financial decisions and things that are made there. I, don't know, I wonder how high sea levels have to go to take care of Washington, D.C. I don't know. But anyway, uh, probably, probably too much. But anyway, you know, water, though. It is. It's, an, it's a necessary thing. We need it. And while man has no way of fully controlling it, God can't. We are at its mercy. And so sometimes we might have to move. You might have to go to different locations. And we got to, you got to move places where there is water. And then sometimes you got to move away from places because of water, because of floods and things. It's just part of life. We are at the mercy of these things. We cannot stop them. We cannot control them. Earthquakes are going to come. Tornadoes are going to come. Hurricanes are going to come. We can't control these things. These things are way too powerful. But God can control these things. And that says something about Him. So look at verse 12. Verse 12 says, By them shall the fowls of the heaven have their habitation, uh, which sing among the branches. He watereth the hills from His chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of thy works. He causeth the grass to grow for the cattle. And herb for the service of man, that he may bring forth food out of the earth. And wine that maketh glad the heart of man, and oil to make his face to shine, and bread which strengtheneth man's heart. The trees of the Lord are full of sap, the cedars of Lebanon which he hath planted, where the birds make their nests, as for the stork, the fir trees are her house. The high hills are a refuge for the wild goats, and the rocks for the conies. Basically, what he's been doing right here in this passage, he's showing all these different types of places. Okay, you know, you have basically, you know, you have forests, you have the hills and the rocks, and you know what? No matter where you go on this planet, except for maybe, well, even in the desert, you know, there's some kind of life pretty much everywhere. There's some kind of living creatures, some kind of animals. While, you know, you do, you have those rocky places where you have the goats and things. That's where they thrive. That's where they do good. You've got the other places that have trees. That's where the birds live. That's where they're happy. You have trees that are full of sap. There's things that we can use for them. I mean, everything we need to survive as people, everything the animals need, the birds, it's all here on this planet. And it all serves a purpose. And there, there's a lot of places on this planet where you look at it sometimes you're like, you know, what's the purpose of this place? But it does serve a purpose. Thank God for the land that we live in. It's great for growing food. I mean, look at all the food we're able to grow to feed people. And in and, and this, just, this, just this area, that's a blessing. 
Thank God for all the areas that's pretty much nothing but trees. Because, you know, we need trees to survive too. Those, you know, we, we need all these things. You know, we do have a perfect ecosystem. And what's interesting is how when the biggest catastrophes in our ecosystem comes when man tries to help. You ever notice that? You know, every time we try helping by bringing certain bugs over here, it ends up causing huge problems, doesn't it? Like those emerald ashboro beetles you know, that, that have caused a lot of trouble. You know, the Asian beetles too. Those things were horrible when we were in LaSalle. We could not keep those things out of our house. Just terrible. You know, these are things that they often, man brings them over thinking we're going to help out and it ends up, you know, making things worse. But God somehow, he has everything here that takes care of itself. Remember when they had the big Gulf oil spill and everybody's panicking, you know, what's going to happen? What are we going to do? You know, while the government's scrambling trying to figure out what they can do, you know, and everybody's figuring, you know, most of us they can pass more bills so they can just spend a bunch of money. I don't remember, I, I remember reading an article about it, I don't remember what it was called, but there was some stuff that ended up, you know, nature took care of itself with that oil. I don't remember how it all went down, what it was all called, I'm not very good at that stuff, but, I, but you know, nature took care of it. God made this, He made this world in a way to take care of itself, and everything has a purpose. And God, you know, when God saw this, he, it was good. And even though it's under the curse, God still wanted it to, you know, he wanted us to be able to survive. He didn't want us all to die on this planet. And so he's got things there, and it will take care of it. We just need to trust God. And so there's often famines, there's often shortages in different parts of the world. But there is a day coming where there will be no end. Of increase. Look at what it says in Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. We'll start reading in verse 6. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Obviously talking about Jesus Christ, right? What does it say? Verse 7, Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So notice Jesus Christ, one of these days, he's going to rule and reign on this earth, isn't he? And the Bible says, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Now what does that mean? Well, according to the Sluter Doctrine, and I've got to share this with you. I can't cover this without covering the Sluter Doctrine on this. This verse is where they get that we're going to inhabit other planets one of these days. Because look at what it says. Of the increase of his government, there's, there's, there's not going to be any end. And increase means get bigger, right? Therefore, if it's going to keep on increasing for all eternity, well, you can only fit so many people on this planet. That must be what all the other planets are for. And therefore, based on it, this is what he teaches. And he's not the only one. A lot of the Rucktarts teach this. And they use this verse. Because look what it says. It says increase. You know, if you believe a King James Bible, you've got to believe in inhabiting other planets one of these days. How can it keep on increasing and us all continue to fit on this earth? Well, here's the problem. Here's what Sluter doesn't understand. Is that increase doesn't always just mean getting bigger and bigger and bigger. That's not what it always means. 
Okay, look at, let, let me show you a few verses. You don't need to turn there. Leviticus 19 verse 25 says, And in the fifth year shall ye eat of the fruit thereof, that it may yield unto you the increase thereof. I am Lord your God. What is the increase? It's the fruit that is produced. Well, what do you do with the fruit that's produced? Do you just store it up and save it? No, you consume it. You consume it. Leviticus 25, 7, And for thy cattle and for the beasts that are in thy land shall all the increase thereof be meat. Verse 12, For it is the jubilee, it shall be holy unto you. Ye shall eat the increase thereof out of the field. Okay, increase is what is produced. Alright, so when you plant stuff, there is increase that comes, but then what happens? You consume it, right? So when it's saying, of the increase of his government, there shall be no end, what that's referring to is the fact that in many kingdoms, the reason that they fell is because there was not enough increase. There was a famine. They had more people than they had food, and the people weren't able to survive. The people would end up starving. That has often happened in many places in the world where kingdoms fell because of famines. There was not enough increase for people to survive. They would consume everything that they had and it wasn't enough. And so people would die. Well, in Jesus Christ's kingdom, of his increase, there will be no end. It says of his increase in peace. Those are the two things you need as a kingdom to survive. You need increase. You need something to keep yourself alive. And then you need peace. You need protection from invading armies coming and taking everything you have. Well, when Jesus Christ rules and reigns, there will be no end of increase. There will be plenty. And there will be peace during the whole thing. And that is what that's talking about right there. It's not talking about just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and expanding to other planets. That is just stupid. See, this is the problem that these rucktards have. They, they, they make King James people look bad. When you're king, cause listen, I believe this King James Bible is perfect. But you know what I also believe about the King James Bible? I also believe that what it meant, the words what they meant in 1611 are what they mean now. And I understand that when we use the word increase today, it usually means getting bigger and bigger. But just from reading the Bible and looking at context and letting words define themselves, that doesn't always just mean getting bigger and bigger and bigger. But that's the way they look at it. Yep, there it, mean, there it means increase. And they do that all the time with scriptures is that they'll take the modern definition of the word and it's like now the Bible's changed its meaning. You know, the David Peacock, another rucktard, he's teaching that he was talking about unicorns. And he's like, I, he's like, you know, I think it's, I think it's a horse with a horn coming out of his head. Moron. Alright? Just because that's what unicorn means today doesn't mean it's what it meant in 1611 when they translated the Bible. You know, and he, and he was, he talked about, he was talking about centaurs and satyrs, about half men, half goats. He believes there was half men, half goats on the earth in the pre-flood days. Are you kidding me? I don't know if that's that progressive revelation thing, but that, if that's the case, if the King James Bible words, if the meanings change with the time, then I guess it is okay for us to, you know, then when it talks about the, you know, not showing partiality towards the one who is wearing the gay clothing, I always joke about how that means, you know, the guy in the skinny jeans and stuff like that. Well, apparently that's what it means now. You know, it doesn't just mean bright or, you know, whatever. It just means, you know, means queer. You know, we shouldn't be partial. So James is teaching us we shouldn't be partial to the guy who looks like a queer 
compared to the poor guy. Well, we don't have that problem in our church. You know, we we treat poor people way better than we treat queers. We don't throw poor people out, but we throw queers out. So we're good on we're good on in the book of James there. You know, that's just stupid. All right, that's what retardation does to you. And to come up with other planets, you know, living in other planets from that verse, that is so stupid. Okay? But I, it's very clear what that's talking about. There's always going to be the things that we need. And God made this planet to be able to produce fruit, produce food, the things that we need to survive. And while there have been many times in many parts of the world where there wasn't enough, part of that's because of the curse. For the most part, it's been good. Because you know what? We're still here today and there are billions of people on this planet. Billions. And I know... The elite, the higher-ups, they're wanting to take that population way down. I forgot what the number is. I'm kind of wanting to see the Georgia Guidestones when we're down there. I don't, I don't think we're going to be that far away from it. Is it 100 million? 500 million. Wow. That's a, yeah, that, that's a lot of dead people. But you know what? The planet's producing quite a bit. I don't know. I mean, I haven't been around a lot of places in the world, but I can tell you America's doing just fine. we got plenty of increase in this country. we got too much increase in this country. So... Uh, you know, God made this planet to be able to produce the things that are needed. And so, we don't need to sit around worrying about all this stuff. God knew, God knew what He was doing. So, um, you know, and people often too, they'll bring up, you know, the Rucktards whenever they're trying to convince you that there's life on other, or there's, will be life on other planets. Is, you know, it's like, well then why, you know, why'd God make all them stars? You know, there's trillions of stars and the, you know, they all got plants. You know, there's trillions and trillions of them out there. You know, why would God make all those things? Why do you think they're all there? Well, I'm glad you asked me that. I'm glad you, you know, asked why they're there. Because, you know, it says in verse 19 here, look what it says. It says, He appointed the moon for seasons. The sun knoweth his going down. You know why God made those things? So we would know what time it is. Not only would we know what time of the day it is, we would also know the time of the year that it is, though we would also know the season. Look what it says in Genesis chapter 1. Alright, these people who, they'll ponder this. Why did God make all them stars? Must be He wanted us to inhabit other planets. All you gotta do is read Genesis chapter 1 and you can figure out why He made all those stars. It says it right here in verse 14, and God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven. To divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. And he made the stars also. Right there is why he made them. Yeah, but look how big they are. Look how many of them there are. You know, just, you know, look at the vast expanse of space and all that there is. There's got to be more to it than that. God is clothed with honor and majesty. You know why I made this universe so big? You know why I made so many stars? One for the time of season and everything, like you said. But you know what? I, I hope I'm not being irreverent here. I think he was kind of showing off a little bit. All right? He, why, and why did I say that? He is a very powerful God. Is it not a testament to how powerful he is when you see how many stars? And have you ever seen somebody too that did something really impressive? And you know, and on the slight occasion when I do something that's impressive, you know, especially if it's on accident and people notice, one of the things I try to do is I try to act like no big deal. Have you ever done that before? Okay, that one golf trophy I have in there, you know, when I got that, 
I didn't deserve it. I was just on a good team. And I put on this big show when I went to go get the trophy, just walked up there like it was no big deal. I didn't act excited. I was pretty sure we won. I didn't know for sure. But I, 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 I told the guys, I was like, I'm not going to act excited. I'm just going to go up there like this is my 20th golf trophy I've got. And that's exactly what I did. And, you know, and everybody that knew me was dying laughing because they knew I didn't deserve that trophy. But what was I trying to do? I was just trying to act like no big deal, getting first place in the tournament. That's nothing. When God made the stars, that's pretty impressive. But what does the Bible say? He made the stars also. Uh, I, the way I look at that, it's just like, you know, it's God just showing off a little bit. And I think it's okay for Him to do that. And you know, it's amazing how many people love to talk about themselves and just lift themselves up and just brag like crazy. And you know, whenever people have to talk about themselves a lot, like for example, I've learned people who are always talking about how tough they are, are not very tough. I had a guy trying to intimidate me on the phone one day. And he's, he told me about 20 times that he was in the Hell's Angels. And after about the 20th time he told me he was in the Hell's Angels, I was like, you know what? I don't think this guy's that tough. Because right? he kept talking about how tough he is and about how tough of a crowd he used to run with. And I'm like, you know, when you got to tell me that many times you were, you were in the Hell's Angels, it's obvious because you're trying to convince me, you feel this need to persuade me that you're tough. Well, tough people, they don't need to persuade. Everybody already knows it. And people who always have to talk about how smart they are, they're usually not very smart. That's why they talk about it. People who are really tough, people who are really smart, never talk about it. And that's why you've never heard me say a word. <laughs> I, I, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just having fun there. But anyway, you know, people who can beat you up, they never tell you. I've never told anybody I could beat them up. But anyway, uh, so... You know, but God, He just, He's, He's, I don't know, I just, when I read Genesis 1, it says He made the stars also. That's how I think of that. That's the way I look at it. And it is, it is a testament. He is clothed in honor and majesty. So go back to, uh, Psalms, look at verse 20. Verse 20 says, Thou makest darkness, and it is night, wherein all the beasts of the forest do creep forth. The young lions roar after their prey and seek their meat from God. The sun ariseth, they gather themselves together and lay them down in their dens. Man goeth forth unto his work and to his labor until the evening. O Lord, how manifold are thy works. In wisdom hast thou made them all. The earth is full of thy riches. So notice even the day and night serve different purposes for man and beast. We do most of our stuff in the daytime, don't we? We, why? We do it in the light. We need the light to be able to see. We don't see real good in the dark. But there are many animals. When do they do all their activity? It's always at night. They thrive in the nighttime. That's the way God, that's the way God made them. And so there's just like this, this planet is always at work. There's always stuff going on. There's always people active. There's always work being done. And, you know, every creature is, they're doing some work to help survive. You know, we do need even some of the bugs and things. We need these things, and they help us. You know, we need, uh, you know, we need the grass. Why? We need that grass so the cows have something to eat, so they get nice and fat, so we can eat them. I don't want to eat the grass. All right, so let the cows eat it, and then I'll eat them. I saw somebody. I think somebody posted on Facebook about vegetarians or about a salad or something. They were saying the way you should eat salad is feed it to the cows and then eat the cow. 
uh, that that's good right there. That'll preach. But anyway, uh, look at verse 25. It says, So is this great and wide sea wherein are things creeping innumerable, both small and great beasts. Now, I, I got, I'm going to get sidetracked right here. But too, I, Gene Kim is another one of these rucktards. And he was teaching, somebody shared a clip of him teaching about these megalodons and stuff. And he was teaching from Jonah, that great fish. It was probably like this sea creature that could transport people from heaven to hell and talking about how you know God uses these different creatures to deal with Christians that aren't right with him. And so like a lot of these alien greys and stuff, you know, these are probably like demonic creatures that God's using because Paul said, talked about that one guy they're going to deliver over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. I was like, maybe that's what Nessie is. Loch Ness monster, you know, he transports creatures to hell. Or something. I, you know, and what do they do? They take these words that have modern meanings and then they just attach it. And it's like, no matter what sci-fi, no matter what you know, pretty soon, it, it, you know, it, they probably have already done it. I'm sure you can find a ruptard out there that has taken like, um, you know, something like this DC Comics, you know, uh, mythology where they have all these characters from these different worlds that come together and fight. That's probably, they're probably saying that's like the pre-Adamic race. But, you know, before then you had all that stuff going on because who knows what kind of superpowers they had. And I've heard them talk about some really crazy stuff. When they're talking about the pre-Adamic race. Now, we don't believe in a pre-Adamic race, but they do. And you know what? It makes for interesting storytelling. But to try to pass that off as Bible teaching, you know, these people need to go work for Hollywood and get out of church is what they need to do. Because they've got some pretty good imaginations. But it's just crazy. And, yeah, and he was talking about all the, you know, these weird creatures like that. I was like... I'm, I'm telling you, man, that guy's got to be on drugs. I, I don't know how you can read a Bible and get that unless you're smoking something while you're reading it. But, so is this great and wide sea wherein are things creeping innumerable, both small and great beasts. There go the ships. There is that Leviathan, he mentioned him too, whom thou hast made to play therein. These wait all upon thee, that thou mayest give them their meat in due season. That, uh, that thou givest them, they gather... Thou openest thy hand, and they are filled with good. Thou hidest thy face, they are troubled. Thou takest away their breath, they die, and return to their dust. Thou sendest forth thy spirit, they are created, and thou renewest the face of the earth. You know what he's talking about there? He's talking about these different sea creatures. You think about a whale, how much it takes to feed a whale? But you know what? They're fine. You think about how much is living in the ocean. Just how much is living in that ocean and these things all survive. You know, it really boggles the mind. You know, these creatures that are just so gigantic, things that, you know, I mean, they, they, they do, they really do blow our mind. And yet God takes care of all of them. They are dependent on God. If he hides their face from them, they're in trouble. Okay? And you know, they always, they always, the environmentalists, you see, the problem with the environmentalists, they think we're God. They do. You know, they worship the creation instead of the creator. And that's why they're always panicking, telling us we're going to kill all the, you know, the polar bears and all the whales and all that stuff. No, we're not. You realize how big the ocean is? When you consider how just gigantic our ocean is, how much of our planet is water, you know, we're not capable 
of doing that. But, you know, they're convinced we are. You know, we have full control. That's why we got to get a Democrat in the office so he can lower the sea levels. And Obama, remember his inauguration speech? I think it was an inauguration speech or uh, when he won the presidency. You know, he t- that was one of the things he mentioned. People made fun of him. Like, this is the day, you know, the sea levels are going to go down or something along those lines. It's like, moron, you, you can't change the sea level. That's up to God. And you know what? The sea levels didn't go down during his eight years. I know, and it's not just because we didn't get all his environmentalist bills passed that he tried to, tried to get. We're, we're just not capable of it. So even these sea creatures are dependent on God. That ought to, that ought to tell us something. You know, so verse 31, the glory of the Lord shall endure forever. The Lord shall rejoice in his works. He looketh on the earth, and it trembleth, he toucheth the hills, and they smoke. I will sing unto the Lord as long as I live. I will praise, I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. My meditation of him shall be sweet. I will be glad in the Lord. So God's creation is a clear reminder of his power that ought to cause us to be at peace. Okay, y'all get that? Even the fish of the sea, they realize they're dependent on God. They understand that and He takes care of them. You know, consider the lilies of the field. You know, look at the birds. You know, when was the last time you saw a bird go into a pharmacy looking for meds to take care of its anxiety and depression? Okay? Animals don't do that. Okay? I won't even say the goal I had with our cat, but, um, yeah, I, probably, I probably shouldn't mention that, but, I have to now. So, you know, one of my goals is, and I, I never hurt, I don't believe in hurting animals. I've never hurt our cats, alright? But, I am, I'm not nice to them. My goal is for our cats to become so unhappy that they commit suicide, alright? And, um, my wife's like, that's not gonna happen. It's like, I don't care. It's my goal. I would love it if our cats killed themselves. Uh, just cause I'm not allowed to kill them. My wife won't let me. And I want them to go away. But, at the same time, animals don't do that, do they? Alright? Why not? It's people that do that. Why do people do that stuff? Because they want to obsess about everything. They want to worry about everything. They're always thinking they're, they're going to starve to death or die. The things that we come up to worry about, we have to invent things to worry about. You know, we do, we worry about everything. Most of the stuff we're worried about today has to do with things that man has made, like technology, like we were talking about before church. You know, we got to, we, you know, it's not things with the planet. Or with something that God's going to do. You know, we're not sitting around worrying about earthquakes and tornadoes and floods. And things. We're worried about our government. You know, we're worried about what man could do often. And you know, we shouldn't even be worried about that. God's going to take care of us. God can, you know, as long as we're in God's will, we should be fine. That's the kind of thing we need to be focused on. And God's creation, it should remind us, you know what? If he can keep the stars in line, if he can keep this planet Moving, doing everything it's supposed to do, and he can take care of all the creatures of the earth. I mean, do you think God is going to, you know, take care of all the birds and forget about us? Remember what Jesus said, you are more value than many sparrows. Give that verse to the environmentalists too, these animal rights people. And we're gonna, we're gonna be just fine, and we ought to talk about creation. This is one of the reasons they need to be teaching creation. In the schools, because it maybe if they, they taught these kids creation, taught them about God, these kids wouldn't be so depressed and so full of anxiety and all these things. 
But they're not being taught that. They're being taught that basically man is God and man's destroying the planet. And these kids, they get all worried about these things. And they get them all caught up in this stuff. And it's no wonder these kids have all the issues that they have today. But it's a bunch of foolishness. Verse 35 says, Let the sinners be consumed out of the earth, and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise ye the Lord. What is the one thing that does have the potential to do a lot of damage on this earth? It's not the creation itself. It's man. It's sinners. You realize that it was man that brought sin into the world? It was because of man that this earth has the curse that it does have on it. The things that are bad on this earth are because of man. They are because of sin. Not because of anything else. It's because of man and their sin. And so you know what? He's saying here, let the sinners be consumed out of the earth. Let the wicked be no more. They're the problem. You know, they're the ones that we have to be worried about. And I think, I think this, when I was reading this too, when you read verse, uh, you think about all this has been talking about creation and that it ends with, you know, talking about letting sinners be consumed out of the earth. It kind of makes me think about Romans 1. You know, they worship and serve the uh, creature more than the creator. They didn't like to retain God and their knowledge. So what happened? God gave them over to a reprobate mind. You think about all the wickedness and all the evil that man has brought on this earth. It's worse than any famines. Okay, The Catholic Church, during their inquisitions, did more damage than any famine can do. You know, It's the governments of the world that make it so difficult for many people. A lot of the famines and things that are in different parts of the earth, the fact that people can't migrate and move a lot of times, it's because of their governments. They won't let the people leave. They won't let the people move. The, the problems that we have in this earth are not problems with the earth or with the planet. The problems are with the people. The problems are with wickedness. And one of the reasons we need Jesus Christ to come back and set His kingdom up on this earth is so He can execute His law. And that once we execute God's law the way He said, we're going to have a paradise on this earth. And I personally believe, theoretically speaking, all right, I know we cannot be perfect. I know it's impossible. I'm not going to get up here and tell you, all right, this is how we can be perfect. But I personally believe that if all of a sudden we could just flip the switch and everyone started following the Old Testament law, I believe we would live on a paradise. I believe this earth would be a paradise. You look at the promises that God gave the children of Israel. Hey, if you're going to keep my commandments, I'm going to do this. God gave them all these things He was going to bless them with. He's like, I'm going to take care of all this. You know, you're going to be safe from your enemies. You're going to have food. You're going to be prosperous. If you'll keep my commandments, well, why wouldn't that work for the rest of the world? I believe it would work for the rest of the world. We'd be, we would be fine if we would just follow God's laws. So this Psalm, Psalms 104, it is the song about creation. We need to think about creation. We need to be, we need to talk about creation. You need to teach your kids about creation. They're not learning it in school. They're definitely not learning it from the television. Watch any dinosaur movie. You're going to hear billions and billions of years ago. They're not going to learn about it from the museums. Go to the museum and you're going to get environmentalism shoved down your throat. Go to the planetarium in Chicago and you're going to get environmentalism shoved down your throat. The field museum, science and industry, planetarium, all those places. That's all. Shed aquarium. 
they do that. All those places, I mean, these places are just propaganda sites where they just cram evolution and environmentalism down your throat. And we wonder why we got a bunch of nutcases in our world today. People just in a panic. I mean, just medicating themselves up because of anxiety and things. Problem is, they're not being taught about the Creator. They don't know the Creator. If they knew the Creator, they wouldn't be so worried. But until then, until people learn about a Creator and that they are His creation, that He's going to take care of them, they're going to continue being that way. I'm, I'm sorry to tell you, but the pharmaceutical companies are going to continue thriving in this country. As long as they continue to teach this garbage, they're going to thrive. The psychiatrists are going to thrive. You know, the self-help books are going to sell like hotcakes and all that. Those things are going to do just great. But you know what? As believers, we don't need them. We know the truth. We have the historical record right here of creation. And you know what? We have the scientific evidence of creation right outside. And we just need to take the blinders off. You know, stop falling for the brainwashing and stuff that we're hearing from them. And see things for what they are. And in doing that, I believe it will bring peace. And then what we just got to do is we've got to work on helping expand righteousness in this world. You know, we can't just go killing the wicked. We don't have that authority. But you know what we could do? We can go get some more people saved. We could preach about righteousness. And preach against sin. We can get some of these people who get saved. Start sinning less. Start doing more things that are right. And that is what will preserve us. That And that is what will. That's what will make America great again. Donald Trump's not going to make America great again. You know all the talk about Donald Trump does. About making America great again. And while all the Fox News Baptists. You know ready to wear their red hat. Saying make America great again. You know when was the last time we heard Donald Trump talk about. Keeping God's commandments. He doesn't even know how to say 2 Corinthians. And yet, he's the one going to make America great again. Yet, you don't, he, he doesn't talk about teaching creation in the schools again. He's not, he's not passing those things. He's not trying to get Bibles back in there. He's not promoting righteousness. You know, the man doesn't even live righteous himself. And yet, we think he's going to make America great again. That's, that's ridiculous. Fox News Baptists are really starting to make me sick. And with that, let's close the word of prayer. <laughs> Dear Lord, I thank you so much for your blessings. I, I thank you for your word and the comfort it gives us. I pray, Lord, you'll help us as, as, as Christians to remember to just every once in a while, uh, take a look at creation and look at all that you've done and all that you've made and help. I pray you'll uh, cause it to uh, bring peace to our lives and knowing that you've got everything under control. You know what's going on. And I just pray you'll, uh, you'll help us not be like the world uh, worrying and panicking all the time, but we'll just trust in you. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand.